Galatians 5. And while you're turning there, you might like just like to keep your finger there in uh, John 15 as well, because we're referring a little bit to that today as well. So we're reading from Galatians 5. I'm going to be reading from verses 16 through to 26. The word of God says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's word to us this morning. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we just ask now for your anointing on this time, particularly as we focus on this aspect of the gifts, the fruit of the Spirit. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we might be attentive to that which you would teach us today through your word. We pray especially, Holy Spirit, that you might do your work in us and through us to the glory of God. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I, there's, there's really nothing like, is there the view from the top of a really high mountain? You know, those of you who have climbed really high mountains before, one of the, probably one of the tallest mountains I've ever climbed was, would be Mount Warning down on the, uh, the New South Wales, just on the other side of the New South Wales border down there. We did that as part of a uh, week of evangelism uh, trip with college a number of years ago. It's a pretty impressive view from up there. Right, as you look out over the, uh, as you look out over the coast, you can sort of see, um, you know, places like, uh, you know, Byron and the uh, the lighthouse there, and all along the coast, all the beautiful beaches and things like that. You sort of see all the hinterland and all of the the farmland and the sugarcane farms and so forth, all spread out there. You can see the uh, the highway and the main roads as they sort of, you know, go up and down the coast there, and also the uh, the winding rivers that sort of head out towards the uh, towards the ocean. I wonder if you've ever sort of noticed, if you've sort of been up on those sort of high mountains, you look down over those sort of over those kind of scenes, and you see the rivers. Whether or not you've actually noticed how the uh, the vegetation along those rivers seems to be more abundant and much greener along the banks of those rivers and streams than they do anywhere else. 
reminds me of passages in the Bible like Psalm 1, which says this. It says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates upon it day and night. He goes on to describe such a person as being like a tree planted by streams of water, a tree that flourishes and which brings forth abundant fruit in its season. You know, if you plant a tree and you give it the right conditions, you give it enough moisture, you give it uh, good nutrients in the, uh, in the soil, a proper amount of sunlight, then that tree is going to bear fruit. It's going to produce fruit. As we come to the, the Bible, we see that as Christians, the Bible says that we too are meant to produce fruit in our lives. Christian fruit or Christ-like fruit. Uh, John 15, if you've got your uh, scriptures there, John 15, Jesus speaks a lot about this fruit that we as Christians are meant to, uh, to have uh, uh, revealed in our lives. Uh, John 15, 6, Jesus says this. He says that he appointed his disciples to go and to bear fruit, fruit that lasts. That fruit that he refers to here is both the evidence of our salvation, that regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that points to the fact that we are indeed true disciples of Jesus. It encompasses all of the, uh, the characteristics, uh, all of the, uh, the Christian characteristics of our lives that are consistent with being redeemed children of God. Things like obedience and righteousness and holiness and so forth. In fact, everything about our lives that resembles that Christ-likeness. But it also refers to that going out and also winning others for Christ as well, making more disciples. In John 15, 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you, as, as disciples of Jesus, that you bear much fruit and therefore prove to be my disciples. And he's not saying here that you know, the fruit is a means by which we become disciples, but because we are disciples of Jesus, that fruit will be evident in our lives. It points to the fact that we truly do belong to Jesus and have had that restorative, that regenerative work of the Spirit taken place in our lives. Of course, Jesus, we know, as we've been going through this year about you know, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We know the disciple is a learner of Jesus a disciple is not about just learning stuff about Jesus, but learning to be like Jesus and being active in the mission of Jesus Christ. And it says here that true Christ followers, sorry, in John, John's Gospel there, it says that true Christ followers will be recognised by their fruit. Uh, if you go back to Matthew 7, verses 16 to 20, Jesus says this. He says that, uh, that we will be recognised, that disciples will be recognised by their fruit. He says, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into, a fire, into the fire. Thus, you are recognised by the fruit. So Jesus is basically saying here that you know, you'll be able, to be, be able to tell what kind of a person is, whether that person is, a, is truly a Christ follower by what the characteristics of their lives, the fruit of their lives, their attitudes, their motivations, their actions and so forth. Of course, this fruit comes about as a result of whatever controls our hearts. 
And we see that in Matthew 15, verses 18 to 19. And this is where it gets kind of challenging, if you like, for the disciple of Jesus. Because we know that, uh, that when we become a disciple of Jesus, that there are now two natures at work in the life of that person, the one who's come to faith in Christ. There is our old nature that is controlled by the passions and the desires of the flesh. And when Paul refers to flesh here, by the way, what he's talking about is not just our physical bodies, but he's talking about our whole corrupted self with, its, with our bent towards sin and rebellion towards God. That's what Paul is talking about here when he refers to the flesh. So there is this, this fleshly nature that is, work in, that is at work in us. But then he talks about the fact that there is also our new nature, that God-directed and Christ-forming nature, which has been given to us through the indwelling Spirit of God when a person puts their faith and trust in Christ as Saviour. And because of these two opposing natures, there's now this internal conflict that is going on. It's a, it's a battle, if you like. It's a war for supremacy of our hearts and our lives. And depending upon which nature it is we surrender ourselves to will result in certain characteristics manifesting themselves or showing themselves in our attitudes and our behaviours and our actions. And this is what essentially what Paul is talking about here in Galatians 5 in verse 17 where he says, For the desires, those strong and powerful yearnings of the flesh, are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Paul says here in, uh, in Galatians 5.16, he says that the right way for a believer, the right way for a follower of Jesus is to walk by the Spirit of God, verse 16. Paul phrases this, in fact, as a command. We are to walk by the Spirit. Something the Christians should do so that they are following after Christ and his purposes in their lives. And that means to be conformed more and more in their character so that it reflects more the character of Christ. It reflects the already of who they have been declared to be in Christ. Remember last week we spoke about that, uh, the, the, uh, the work of the, the, the Holy Spirit in our lives, the work of sanctification, and we said that there's two aspects to our sanctification. There's the positional sanctification, the fact that we have already been declared holy in Christ, that when we put our faith and trust in, in Jesus, we are already declared to be holy, to be, a, to be completely accepted children of God. But then it is because of who we are in Christ that then the, the Holy Spirit sets about working out that, that, that holiness in reality in our lives on a day-to-day basis, bringing us more and making us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. So we need to remember that, that, that we already have that, that, uh, that declared truth of God over our lives, that we are indeed his children. We, are, we have been holy, uh, we have been made holy. We see that in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, where Paul writes, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Because of who we are, we then are to live out that in our lives on a day-to-day basis. And that's why Paul says to walk by the Spirit. And to walk by the Spirit means, indeed, to order our lives according to the direction and the promptings of the Spirit in our lives. 
We must listen to the Spirit's word, discern his will, follow his guidance through reading and meditating upon Scripture, through memorising Scripture, through hearing those promptings of the Spirit when the Spirit actually convicts our hearts about the sin in our lives, to, to hear that and, to bring, and, and, and for the Spirit to lead us to, to that point of confession and repentance and, and again pointing us to the reality of the gospel that Jesus has paid for those sins in our lives. That's what walking by the Spirit means. It means listening to the Spirit and then, of course, also listening to the promptings of the Spirit in our lives as he brings the word of God to bear on our lives and as we there seek to walk in those ways. Paul here is not talking about some deeper or higher spiritual plane that some Christians live on. What he's talking about here is this should be normal Christian, the normal Christian life for each and every one of us, walking by the Spirit. And if our focus and energy is on walking by the Spirit, we are promised that if we do this, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The promise there at the end of verse 16 of Galatians 5. You know, this, the flesh is, this powerful, is a powerful force and the only way to conquer it is indeed to walk by the Spirit. Folks, we should see that there is no neutral ground here. We're either living in one sphere or we're living in the other. Either we're submitting to the Spirit's leadership in our lives or we're gratifying our flesh. And if we are submitting to the Spirit, we cannot gratify the flesh then, you know, as, as at the same time that that happens. As one writer said, we cannot pray and look at pornography at the same time. The way you deal with your sin is not, not simply by saying no to the flesh, but also by saying yes to the Spirit's work in our lives. Paul goes on to illustrate what a life, what the life of a person looks like. He was controlled by the flesh. We see that in verses 19 to 21 in our passage. And he'll contrast this with the characteristics or the fruit of a person's life who is walking by the Spirit in verses 22 to 23. So let's look at the first few verses, 19 to 21. And it says here, when Paul says that the acts of the flesh are obvious in verse 19, he does not mean that they're all committed publicly where they may be seen. Because some of these will be and some of these won't be. But instead what he's, what he's saying here is that it will be obvious that such acts as these that he lists here, and by the way this is not a comprehensive list, such acts as these will, we know will originate with the sinful nature and it will tell us that, we're operating either, that we are operating in that sphere of the flesh. He begins the list with things like sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality. He's speaking here of all forms of, the, of sexual relations that are outside of God's design for marriage, including things like adultery and, and cohabitation and premarital sex and pornography and homosexuality and a number of others. And on the next on the list, he, he goes then to idolatry, which means the worship of anything that is not God. It is the quest, if you like, to find our meaning and our identity and our purpose and worth in anything and anyone besides God. And Romans 1 points out that it is the worshipping of created things rather than the creator. 
He also, Paul speaks about witchcraft or sorcery, which of course is the worship of that which is evil or satanic in its origin. It includes things like the occult, but it can also include things like superstitions and astrology and fortune telling and tarot cards and things along those lines. And then following on from these, Paul mentions a number of things related to the breakdown of of relationships and community when he speaks about enmity, which is is a, a spirit of hostility and antagonism towards others. He speaks about strife, which is the desire for prominence and power at the expense of others. He speaks of jealousy and of fits of anger and rage. He speaks of rivalries, dissensions and divisions, which relate to, the, to factions and, and looking down on those who may not necessarily agree with us. And of course he mentions there envy. And then Paul concludes his list with drunkenness and orgies. These are the drinking orgies, if you like, or what we might refer to today as binge drinking. It's a reference, if you like, to an addiction to pleasure-creating substances and behaviours. In all of these, we see that this way of life is destructive both for ourselves and it's destructive for those around about us. And Paul says, therefore, that the person who practices these things, and can I say when, I, when Paul talks about practicing here, he's talking about things, these things are, become habitual practices in our lives. They are part of our everyday normal behaviour. There is no kind of um, desire to want to live apart from this. It is more so just this is, this is just characteristic of our lives day to day, week in, week out. That's what he speaks about when he's speaking about the person who practices these things not the person who you know we see these things happening in their lives from from time to time and here and there the person who when they see this you know is 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 struck by by grief and and then wants to repent of our sin recognizes that it is sin for what it is and confesses our sin and comes before God and asks for his forgiveness it's not talking about that person. He's talking about here the, the person who habitually practices these things. He says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 21. Their practices point to the fact that the Holy Spirit is not at work in them and therefore they are not God's children. Jesus has not redeemed them and the Spirit has not renewed them. We look at that list. I'm sure all of us can see there, you know, examples of these sorts of things in our lives. But if we're walking by the Spirit, we will, when we see those things that are evident in our lives, we will indeed be grieved by them. It'll break our hearts, and we'll say, "That's not how we want to live." Instead, we want to live in ways that please God and which are proper and right for the children of God. When it comes to walking by the Spirit, Paul says, you know, if we're living in in, in that particular sphere, we'll see a vastly different set of characteristics in the life of that person. We see that in verses 22 to 23. What Paul says here, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. These are not nine individual uh, fruits, if you like, but they are all part of the one fruit. That word fruit is, is a singular word. They're not separate and individual fruits, but they are all facets of the one spirit-inspired and empowered life. Tim Keller points out that using this term fruit, Paul takes us to the agricultural world and tells us a couple of things about how the spirit works. That spiritual growth is gradual because fruit takes time to grow. But he says, but it is also inevitable. For just as an apple tree produces apples, so the spirit brings about that which he intends, spiritual fruit in our lives. And again, like the other list, this is not some complete and comprehensive list. In verse 22, Paul says, against such things, pointing to the fact that there are indeed others which we can, uh, which we can you know, hope to see in our lives as well. Things like hope, truth, generosity, humility, and, and those sorts of characteristics. Since it's significant here that as Paul um, mentions this, this fruit of the Spirit, that he begins with love. Love is the one that is first on the list. And of course, there should be no more uh, distinctive mark of a Christian than love. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul refers to love as the greatest Christian virtue. The Apostle Peter reminds us about the necessity of love when he says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers over a multitude of sins. And in John 13, 35, Jesus says that people would recognise his disciples by their love. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, he sums it up by saying, Love. God and love others. Love needs to be that overarching uh, characteristic, if you like, of the Christian life, of the Christian walk. And in effect, the remainder of these virtues that we see listed here are actually an outflow, if you like, of loving God and loving others. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, yes, these things describe characteristics, but if you take them all together, what we see is they actually describe more than just characteristics. They actually describe a person, and that person is Jesus. They describe a person, and that is Jesus. Now, the thing we need to keep in mind here is this, that it is not our job to produce this fruit in us it is not our job to produce the fruit and uh, I saw a funny uh, analogy of this this week where uh, a person said you know are we to uh, you know to, to sort of close our eyes and sort of go like this and then all of a sudden pop one of these fruits sort of you know pops out in our lives that's not how it goes I'm not going to give the side effects and that sort of sound effects and that sort of thing with how it goes but sometimes we can think about it like that. But it is not our job to produce this fruit. In fact, we cannot produce this fruit no matter how hard we try. It's called the fruit of the Spirit for a reason. 
because it is produced in the life of the believer by the Holy Spirit of God. That's not to say that we're passive in the process. Because if we want to see this this fruit continually grow and mature and be evident in our lives, we need to keep in mind three things. And these three things are are pointed out in the last few verses of uh, of this chapter, in verses 24, and particularly in verses 24 and 25. The first thing we need to remember is this. If we want to see the fruit become more evident in our lives, we want to see that fruit growing to more maturity in our lives, the first thing we need to remember is that we belong to Christ. Verse 24, Paul says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus. We need to remember that we belong to Christ. Our acceptance and approval by God is not dependent upon us. You know, the, the, um, the, the, the automatic sort of uh, thinking that we can apply to this passage is that God doesn't want us to do this, that is those, those works or deeds of the flesh, verses 19 to 21, but instead he wants us to, to practice these things. So therefore, we're going to work hard at these things in our life and it becomes then this works righteousness uh, treadmill if you like. Paul's saying that's not what it's meant to be at all. We're not to go back to this form of legalism. But we're to remember first and foremost who we belong to, whose we are, and that is we belong to Christ. And we need to keep in mind that our acceptance and approval by God is not dependent upon us and our works, our character and our actions, but instead it rests purely upon the finished work of Christ in our lives. When we start to grasp the gospel more and more, when we start to recognize that Jesus himself has paid for our sins and that through faith in him that he presents us before God as perfect and righteous, there is no more that we can do to earn God's favor. It has all been done for us in Christ. And when we start to grasp that, we will start to, 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 to sort of see that we, we've got even more of a joy in our lives because that joy comes from knowing that we don't have to get on this treadmill of works righteousness, that instead that God accepts us and embraces us for who we are in him. It then leads us to a peace in our lives. Paul speaks about that peace in Romans 5. For now we have peace with God through faith in Christ. Because Christ is our justification and our righteousness. When we understand the the love that we've received from God, it means that it can help us then to to love others with that same kind of love that we ourselves have received. It can help us to be patient with one another because God is patient with us. It means that we're able to, to show kindness and goodness and faithfulness because we reflect on the kindness and the goodness and the faithfulness that we've received in Jesus Christ that gentleness, and, and leads then to, to a self-control in our lives. It's grasping what Jesus has done for us on our behalf and embracing that and accepting that and living in that, putting our roots deep down into that gospel. That as we reflect on that and as we rejoice in that and as we live in, in, the, in the light of that, then the Holy Spirit begins to bring more of this fruit evident in our lives and and bring it to maturity in our lives. But it comes from the finished work of Christ. It comes from resting in that. 
But it also comes because, because we belong to Christ. It says there in verse, uh, in, in verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Because we belong to Jesus, we have, it says, crucified the flesh, that sinful nature with its passions and desires and in lives. It means, what this means is that we have chosen to put an end to the ruling and attractive power that sin has over our lives. We did that when we first come to faith in Jesus Christ because that's what repentance actually means. When we repent of our sin, we turn away from our own selfish desires and that self-ruled and self-willed aspect to our lives and instead we turn to God and his ways and trust in him. But it also not only involves that one-off recognition at the point of conversion, but it also involves a daily and sometimes hourly denying of the flesh. A strangling, if you like, or a starving of the flesh, remembering that we are no longer ruled by it and slaves to it. And yes, it will be painful to reject sin. It will be be painful to, to deny the fleshly desires in our lives. But we need to crucify that which will undermine all of the blessings and freedom which are ours in Christ Jesus. This sinful flesh wants to take us back into slavery. It wants to take us back into legalism. We need to crucify that. C.S. Lewis says that crucifixion is pitiless. If you reflect on what crucifixion was all about, you see it, 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 it involved no pity whatsoever. And what uh, C.S. Lewis is referring to here is that we should have the same response to sin in our lives. We should have no pity on sin in our lives, no pity for this fleshly, these fleshly desires and passions in our lives. We should give them no foothold in our lives. You know, it, um, you know the, uh, when, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, our sins were nailed to the cross with him. In fact, our fleshly desires were nailed to the cross with him. But of course, in our lives, those fleshly desires don't want to take themselves down from the cross again. And what we sometimes do is we help them down off the cross and resuscitate them and give them CPR and all sorts of things so that they come back to life to, in, in our lives again. And Jesus is saying, no, crucify it, be done with it once and for all. Of course, we kill this sin in our lives by turning our eyes to that which is greater and, of course, is Jesus Christ. The third thing to remember here is that we need to keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 25, this is a, a military idea. It's a, it's, it has with it the, 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 the image or the picture, if you like, of soldiers marching in unison on the parade ground, keeping in formation as they sort of look. Uh, um, I remember years ago I was in the, uh, the Air Cadets and we used to do uh, drill, uh, marching and that sort of stuff week after week after week. And what you had to do is you had to line yourself up with a person in front of you and the person beside you with your peripheral vision. So you kept sort of like in formation and you kept in step, that everyone stepped at the, at, the same, at the same pace and with the same foot. So if the person in front of me was putting their left foot forward, I wasn't putting my right foot forward, but I was putting my left foot forward. And we were listening to the orders of the one who was, who was you know, um, barking out those orders of where to turn and when to, when to go and when to stop. This is the image we have here. 
that the Holy Spirit is, is, is in, in a way out, that, that kind of drill sergeant, if you like, you know, sort of showing us how we should march, showing, showing us when we should step and when we shouldn't, when we, should, when we should come to a halt, when we should turn right, when we should turn left, when we should mark time. We keep our eyes, we keep our eyes on the leading of the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. And, of course, we do that by being in the Word of God. We come back again to the Word of God because we know, we understand what the Spirit teaches us only as we get into the Word of God. God can, certainly, um, help us to know his ways. And, uh, but, and he can do that through the Holy Spirit, but, but God's main chosen primary way of doing that is through his word. As the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and applies the truths and the realities of the word of God to our lives. And as we, as we listen to the Spirit, as we respond to the Spirit, as we keep in step with the Spirit, we will see that the Spirit will indeed produce this fruit within us. It's the same principle we see is in John 15 where Jesus says, you are to abide in me. He says, you know, if, if you want to see fruit produced in your life, we need to remain in the vine. We need to be rooted in Jesus and in his gospel. And as we remain in the vine, just as a, a, a grapevine, as the, as the branch remains in the vine, it's not the branch that produces the fruit, it's the nutrients and things that come up through the vine and come along through the branch. That's what produces the fruit. It is the life of Jesus within us, given to us by the Holy Spirit. It is that which will produce the fruit in our lives. C.S. Lewis, speaking about this, says this, and I'll, I'll close with this as we, come, as we prepare ourselves to come around the communion table. In speaking about this, this seeing the fruit of the Spirit you know, in our lives and, and, and growing to maturity in our lives, C.S. Lewis says, this happens when we say to ourselves that we, we know the temptations that are, that are very much relevant to us in our own lives. Each of us know, we know, each of us know those temptations to which we particularly are, are um, uh, really attuned to, akin to in our lives, don't we? We all know those specific ones. He says, I know the temptations, I know the power of them. But in saying that, we've also got to say to ourselves this that there is a better way, a higher way. And that comes through obedience to the word of God led by the spirit of God. If we want to see more and more of this fruit growing in our lives, then it's going to mean a refusal on our part to allow our eyes to dwell, to allow our minds to conceive, to allow our hearts to begin to sustain and develop that those things which draw us away from Christ. But instead to focus on Christ. For Jesus to fill the very visions of our lives. For Jesus 
to, to so capture our hearts. Jesus to f- you know, when we when we uh, when you know when you when you look out a, a window for instance at home you look out a window you see the scenery sort of around about you it's kind of like as we look out the window of our lives we want to see not the things not these the things which the flesh wants to go after we need to sort of try to put those aside but instead focus on Jesus allow Jesus the beauty of Jesus and all that he's done for us to fill our vision and as we do that, we will see that we will no longer go after these things of the flesh, but instead we will see the spirit grow, this beautiful spiritual fruit within, our, within us. I gave the analogy last week of, uh, of the cup. Remember, those who were here, you take a cup and if you want to remove the air from that cup, then the best, the easiest way of, of removing the air out of a cup is actually to fill it with flu- to, to fill it with liquid. That displaces the air completely, doesn't it? If we want to get rid of the sin in our lives, we need to fill our lives with something far greater, something much better, and that, of course, is the person of Jesus. I'm going to come around the communion table now. Those who are serving on the table, if you'd like to come forward. It's an opportunity for us to again have our thoughts and our hearts centred around Jesus and all he's done for us. These elements of this table, they speak of the body and blood of Jesus given on our behalf for our sin. They speak so magnificently of the love that Jesus has for us, that he would willingly give his life as a ransom for ours. That our sins can be, play, can be completely paid for. That we can be removed from under that dreadful, righteous and holy judgment of God and instead to be removed from, un, from out from underneath that and instead placed in this beautiful, vibrant, living relationship with him and recipients of all the blessings in him. It's a wonderful way where we can come and reflect again upon our Saviour, but it also is an opportunity for us to also remember these things in our lives, to remember the, these, the, this, these desires in our lives that come from our fleshly nature and to say afresh to Jesus today, we don't want to live that way. We don't want these things to rule in our lives, Lord. We want to be instead people who, who love you and who trust you and who are filled with your spirit. So as we come around these elements, I invite you, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal saviour, I invite you to partake of the elements today. The bread, speaking of his body given for us, and by the way, the little pieces of bread and the, uh, the cups on the drink trays, that's the gluten-free. If you're, if you're uh, gluten intolerant, uh, that's the, uh, the gluten-free bread there. The bread of picturing the, the, uh, the body of Jesus given for us. And the fact that the, the true life only comes from him. He is the one who sustains us.
And, of course, the, uh, the cup speaks of the blood of Jesus shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. That same blood that washes us as white as snow in the Father's sight. Scriptures say that there is, without the, the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So as you, we come around this table, I invite you, as I said, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you love the Lord Jesus with all your heart, you're invited to partake of these elements, eat of the bread, giving thanks to Jesus this morning, and maybe even in, in, in there in the quietness of your seats, just saying to Jesus, you know, just... Uh, reflecting upon at the moment you know are you living where, where are you living which sphere are you living in at the moment are you living in that that that, that sphere of of fleshliness you know that is being that's driving those fleshly passions and desires or are we indeed living in the realm of the spirit that that sphere of the spirit in our lives today and to ask jesus to help you more and more to live in that in that place enabled by the spirit of god and of course, I would ask you to hold the cups this one that we might drink in fellowship together because we are reminded that God not only saved us as individuals, but he called us to be a part of his family. And collectively, we are to, to be people who help one another to walk in, the, in step with the Spirit. We need each other. We need, each, we need to draw alongside each other and help each other in this. And so we remember that the fact that Jesus has called us into community as well and he wants to use the community of faith in this maturing process in our faith as well. So let's pray. Father God, this morning we just want to come quietly before you and to say thank you that you are indeed our God. And to rejoice in the fact that today that Jesus is indeed our saviour and that he has accomplished everything on our behalf so that we can stand before you righteous in his sight. And we thank you afresh today for the indwelling of your Holy Spirit who indeed is our comforter and our helper and the one who is indeed working to bring about this, this spiritual fruit in our lives that really shows us and confirms to us that we are indeed children of God. And so as we partake of these elements this morning, we pray that you would uh, just again, just fill our hearts afresh with your, with, with your joy, with your peace, with your love. Lord, help us to remember with, with gratitude all that you've done and help us, Lord, to also then seek to live lives that please you and honour you with your help. We ask this all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.